Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. I just want to be your man. Rose told me. I told him if he wasn't a mankind and move out the way so the mankind could find me. That's what she told me. You're in my way. You're blocking the view. Move out the way so I can find me a husband. Where, Corey? I want him to help me with this fence. He got recruited by a college football team. It ain't going to get him nowhere. If he be like you in the sports, he going to be all right. Ain't but two men ever played baseball good as you. And what did ever get me? Hey, Pop, can I ask you a question? How come you ain't never liked me? What law is there say I got to like you? A man is supposed to take care of his family. You live in my house, fill your belly with my food, put you behind on my bed because you're my son. Now, don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not. You best be making sure they're doing right by you. Corey just trying to fill out your shoes. I don't want him to be like me. I want him to get as far away from my life as he possibly can get. You're the only decent thing ever happened to me, Rose. You can't be nobody but who you are, Troy. That's all you got to measure yourself against the world out there. Rose, I got something to tell you. I don't know how to tell you this. Why, Troy? Why? You ought to know. It's time. I don't want to know. What you ever give me? Your feet, them bones, that... Hard. You never done nothing but hold me back, afraid I was gonna be better than you. Everything that boy do, he do for you. It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. Well, I've been standing with you. I got a life too. Don't you think I had dreams and hopes? What about my life? What about me? Some people build fences to keep people out, and other people build fences to keep people in. All right, so some of the women in the congregation already feel like you've had a spiritual moment because I showed you a little bit of Denzel this morning. Uh, come on now. I knew, I knew, I know, I know how some of y'all are. Uh, the storyline of this movie is very simple. Uh, it's the account of a man, Denzel's character, who was a star athlete. He was a star baseball player. He runs into this young lady named Rose, and they end up getting married. Uh, but baseball never played out for him. He was anticipating that he would be this uh, rich, successful, applauded athlete. And instead, what we pick up now is that he's in the middle of his midlife crisis, stuck in life as a garbage man. He has two sons, an older son that he cannot relate to because his older son is a musician. And athletes struggle to relate, okay, to uh, musicians. And so he, doesn't, he just doesn't understand him. It doesn't make any sense to him. His youngest son is also, a, looks like he's going to be a great athlete. And as you saw in the clip, he's being recruited by a college. But Denzel's character says, listen, that will never amount to anything 
for you because they'll hold you back just like they held me back. And so he forces his son to quit the football team to go get a job. And there's this constant tension in the family. In fact, it's uh, very tight uh, and, and there's this uh, underlying tension. And ultimately, it leads uh, to several things. First of all, um, his wife seems to have, Rose, seems to have this fixation about building a fence. And so every day after he gets off the garbage truck, he's out there slowly working on this wood fence. The, the, the dilemma is, is that when you look at their yard, they lived in like a typical mill town uh, back in the day, and their yard is just this little postage stamp, rough, barren, rocky, sandy, ugly little piece of property. And so it doesn't really make any sense to build a fence. But every day Denzel's character is out there trying to build a fence, and he's trying to get the young man to help him construct this fence. And so... Uh, one day Denzel's character is having this discussion with his best friend about why Rose wants this unnecessary fence to be built, right? And then he makes this statement that you heard at the end. He says, some people build fences to keep people out. Other people build fences to keep people in. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. I, I've discovered some things in my short time on earth. Uh, I've discovered that uh, we don't like fences, that's particularly true of Americans. We've got this, uh, this, uh, this spirit about us, this frontiersman spirit, this explorer spirit ingrained in us so that we don't like fences very much to the point that we, we say, I don't, I don't like to be confined, I don't like to be walled in, I don't want to be constricted, I don't want to be restricted by anybody. I don't like fences. In fact, I'm going to show you another movie clip. Uh, that will prove that, that it started long before this movie started. So would you watch this real quick? I think some of you will enjoy this. Some of you all have no idea. Standing by the sheriff's side And when that sheriff said I'm sending you to jail Wildcat raised his head and cried Oh, give me land, lots of land Under starry skies above Don't fence me in Let me ride through the wide open country that I love Don't fence me in Let me be by myself in the evening breeze and listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees Send me off forever, but I ask you please Don't fence me in Just turn me loose, let me straddle my old saddle Underneath the western sky On my cayuse, let me wander over yonder Till I see the mountain rise I want to ride to the ridge where the west commences And gaze at the moon till I lose my senses I can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences Don't fence me in All right, so, so some of y'all have no idea. I still have a plastic figurine of Trigger from my childhood. Okay, so... Uh, this song was written in 1934 as a poem, and then it was sung by Cole Porter. 
and now it's been covered by people like Roy Rogers, Ella Fitzgerald, Bing Crosby, Willie Nelson, and most recently, I don't even know who these people are, the Killers in 2013 covered this same uh, song as a tourism uh, campaign for Nevada. But I want you to listen real careful to the lyrics. Give me the land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off forever, but I ask you please, don't fence me in. Whether you knew that song or have ever even heard that song or even know who Roy Rogers was, uh, it doesn't really matter. What matters is this. As Americans in particular, we don't have to know the words, but we're branded with this concept of we don't like fences. We, we don't want any barriers, no rules, no restrictions, no boss, nobody tell me what to do. There is no absolute authority in my life. I'm my own truth. I'm my own standard. Don't judge me. Don't fence me in. And it doesn't matter who builds the fences. I don't like them. I don't want anybody to fence me in. Yet I want to suggest to you this morning that the problem with that is this. God builds fences. God establishes fences in our lives, and without those fences, those barriers, and one way you can even say it is restrictions, we get ourselves in trouble. In fact, almost immediately in Scripture, it didn't take very long at all, we are confronted with this concept that God fences us in. Let me show you. In Genesis chapter 2, so we're real early in the account now, Genesis chapter 2, Beginning in verse 8 and verse 9, verses 15 through 17, listen to what it says. It says, Then God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he put the man he had just made in it. God made all kinds of trees grow from the ground, trees beautiful to look at and good to eat. The tree of life was in the middle of the garden, also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God took the man and he set him down in the garden of Eden to work the ground and keep it in order. And God commanded the man, You can eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. Then he goes on in Genesis chapter 3, after they've eaten from that tree, in verse 22, it says this, God said, The man has become like one of us, capable of knowing everything, ranging from good to evil. What if he now should reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat and live forever? Never. This cannot happen. So God expelled him from the Garden of Eden and sent them to work the ground, the same dirt out of which they'd been made. He threw them out of the garden and stationed angel cherubim and a revolving sword at the fire east of it, guarding the path to the tree of life. Adam and Eve are instantly confronted with fences. God says to them, I'm placing you in this paradise called the Garden of Eden, and you can eat from any tree except. And then he builds a fence with his words, with instructions. He says you can eat of any tree except these two trees. You don't want to eat from the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you don't want to eat from the tree of life. And so he fences them in. But being our parents, this is who we learn this from, our parents, they didn't like fences. And so they disobey. And they walk into this uh, restricted area and they fall. And God sees this, this falling and he forces them. He kicks them out of the garden. And we always want to talk, it seems like there's a tone of, well, that was mean God and you shouldn't have done that. And there's no, that was, that was cruel and unusual pun- punishment. But what I want to submit to you this morning is that it was actually God's mercy. 
Can I get any help in the house today? You do recognize that what God recognized was this. Once they had eaten from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that there was a second tree. And he recognized that in their fallen condition, that if they ate from the second tree, they would live forever in a fallen state. Because they would eat from the tree of life. And that means that for, the, for eternity they would exist in their fallen condition. And God in his mercy says, I, am, I cannot let that happen. We cannot let that happen. And so he fences them in again. And he restricts them and keeps them away from that, knowledge, that, that tree of life so that they won't live forever in their fallen condition. So in other words, what I'm saying to you is that it is God's goodness that takes action and he fences them out. And what I'm trying to convince you of this morning is this, is that maybe we need to rethink fences a little bit. Maybe, maybe we, we have this tendency to always think about fences, about what it keeps us from, what we don't get to do, what we're not allowed to do, what's wrong to do. And we miss it and don't understand that fences can, in fact, be a tool of God's mercy and His grace. In fact, I want to help you this morning to see fences differently. Fences are designed not just to keep in, but to keep some things out. And maybe the things that they keep out are for our good. Maybe fences are mercy. Uh, uh, one passage of Scripture that came to mind was this. There's a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament that says that our world is framed. The, the word there for world is the word eons. It's the word that means ages. Another translation calls it times. And it says our world, our times are framed or fenced in by the word of God. He fences us in. So we don't like fences. We don't like fences. But maybe we need to build some fences today. I, I believe that there are four protective fences for each of us that we must have established. And unfortunately, I, I, I want to say it like this this morning, that may need to be reestablished in our lives. Some of us, God builds these same four fences in all of our lives. But for some of us, we have so resisted the, the, the idea and the concept of fences that we've either torn them down or they're in disrepair and we need to stop and think about this, that God fences us in. He hems us in for our own protection. And there are four fences that I want to deal with just real quickly this morning that I believe we must, everyone in this room, everyone watching over the internet, every one of us has to have these four fences in place or we are doomed to be vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. So let's let's get going here. Uh, first fence, Pastor Drew, you want to help me? First fence. We're going to build some fences this morning. The first fence, you can set it right out there on the front, lean it up against this pulpit, is our conscience. Conscience is defined as the innate impulsive force. Is it going to stand? Oh, yeah. That God has given us so that we know right from wrong. In Romans chapter 2, Paul says it like this. He says, he will punish sin wherever it is found. He will punish the heathen when they sin, even though, listen to this, they've never heard, never had God's written laws, for down in their hearts, they know right from wrong. God's laws are written within them. Their own conscience accuses them or sometimes excuses them. So we are told that deep down on the inside of us, even before you ever meet Jesus, you were born with this fence in place in your life called conscience. From the moment you took your first, first breath in life, 
God established in you this fence so that we would be able to discern right from wrong. And it, by Paul's writings, it teaches us that you don't even have to have a relationship with Jesus to know right from wrong. We should know. We, we, we're built with this. So it is a, it's a fence that, that, that God has built for us to protect us, to build barriers, to keep things out. You don't even have to be saved. But here's the problem. The problem comes in this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul comes back along in verse 1 and 2, and he makes this statement. He says that in the latter times, everybody say latter times. Y'all do recognize we're in latter times, right? In times. In latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared by fire or with a hot iron. In other words, Paul is saying that we have this ability to tear this fence down. Just because we were born with this fence in place doesn't mean that, that it's always there. We have the ability to sear our conscience. Are, are you with me? Okay, what that means is this, is that uh, you have to be willing to be bothered by what should bother you. And I'm going to give you the standard because some of y'all don't know the standard. Because you've torn your conscience down so low, you no longer understand the standard. Let me help you this morning. You should be bothered by what you should be bothered by. Well, what, am I, what should I be bothered by? If it bothers him, it ought to bother you. Now, the dilemma is, is that we've torn this fence down so, so low in most of our lives that now uh, the, the, the issue is, is that some of us now laugh at what used to cause us to blush. Because we no longer have a conscience. Oh, okay. It's, t it's quiet up in here. Uh, all right. Uh, and now some of us do what we used to point at others in their lives. When we saw them do it, we'd say that's sin. But now we do it, and it doesn't bother us anymore. Simply because the, the, that established fence of conscience in our life has been destroyed. This fence was born in you. You, you had this fence established in your life, but you've got to come back to this place where you rebuild it, reconstruct it, and say, God, you, you know down deep I struggle with knowing what's right and wrong. Show me again what's right and wrong. Help me to be sensitive again to that conscience. Somebody said it's like a triangle in your gut that turns over when you're about to do things wrong, and the longer you ignore it, the edges of the triangle are, are burned off. We need to ask God to allow the pointed, pointedness of our conscience to come back. Well, there's a second fence. Come on, Pastor Drew, help me out here. There's a second fence, and this one is a little bit different. These all work in conjunction with one another, and that is conviction. Just put it right here. Build us a little square here. I don't know how I'm going to work that out. All right, so con conscience, then there's a second fence of conviction. Uh, conviction, the, the word convict means to convince someone of the truth, to reprove, to accuse, to refute, or to cross-examine a witness. That's what conviction means. So we are told in John chapter 16, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit's very first job, listen to this in a Pentecostal holiness church, listen to this carefully, get this right. 
John chapter 16 verse 8 says that the Holy Spirit's first job, his first job, okay, I want to make sure you get that. His first job is to convict us of sin. He acts like a prosecuting attorney who exposes evil and he reproves evildoers and he convinces people that they need a savior. He is like a holy referee. He stands on the sidelines of our life watching us play and when we go out of bounds or we commit a foul, he blows the whistle. That's his first job. His first job. Let's say it one more time. His first job. Because, see, my concern is, is how many of us as Pentecostals will embrace the Holy Spirit for gifts and reject Him for conviction? We want the Holy Spirit for stimulation. We just don't want the Holy Spirit for any stipulation. But it's offense to, so, so that we are convinced. Uh, one man said this. He said, we need to be convinced again of the loathsomeness. Loathsomeness of sin, the ugliness of sin, the weight of sin. So what the Holy Spirit does is it gives us a glimpse of the beauty and the purity and the holiness of God and then we see us for who we really are and we recognize that our righteousness is like filthy rags and we watch our actions and our attitudes and our snarky comments and our hatefulness and we go in light of your purity and in light of your holiness and in light of your perfection. I recognize that I can't act like that. I can't do that. That's why in Psalms, David declares that sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. That's why when Isaiah stood in the presence of God, he was immediately confronted and overwhelmed by his own sinfulness to the place that he says, to, says this about himself. He says, woe unto me because I'm a man of unclean lips and I have glimpsed the glory of God and I recognize that in light of that glory, sin cannot exist. It's to be convinced that our sin is dreadful. Our attitude must become once again like Joseph who, who flees the very temptation. And this was his statement when he recognizes that he's being tempted. He says, how could I do this great evil and the sin against God? That's what the Holy Spirit convicts us of. That our actions, that our attitudes, they are sin against God. It's offense. To keep us in and to keep the enemy out. We're to become convinced again that, that like the Philippian jailer where we fall at the apostles' feet and, and he cried, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He saw his own evilness and recognized, I'm, I'm going to die if you don't get me right again. Let conviction reign in our hearts again. The dilemma we face is that so often we learn to ignore conviction and in very real terms, for a lot of us, we tear this fence down. It's not that just we climb the fence, we tear this fence down. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman and He won't force us to do anything, but He is constantly standing there trying to convince us, don't do this, don't do that, don't behave this way. And if we're not careful, we can tear that fence down and not even listen anymore. The still small voice in our life that says, stop, that's a foul. You can't do it, and we should respond. And the only way to do that is to reestablish defensive conviction. These two work hand in hand. Our conscience works because we're born with it. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes along beside that and begins to point things out. You've got to have these fences in place. There's a third fence in life that is established. Pastor Andrew's going to help me. It's the third one. And... Uh, it's our thought life. 
All of these work hand in hand. Let's put it over here, Drew. It's the third fence that is established or needs to be established in our life. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brethren, what, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, what things, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. What do you think about? Another version says it like this, summing it up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. David recognized this in, in uh, or Solomon recognized this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. He said, be careful what you think because your thoughts Run your life. I'm not trying to rewrite scripture, but maybe he should have said, your thoughts run your life. Because that's what they do. He goes on in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, and he says, and you know this one, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's our thought life. Unless we learn to control our thoughts, unless we allow the, the, convict, the, the conscience that we were born with to become active again and allow the Holy Spirit to cooperate and work in, in correspondence with that and convict us, then what happens is we don't know how to manage our mind. And our thought lives begin to go out of control. And we think on things that we should not. When you understand something this morning, if you can't control your thought life, it will impact every area of your life. It will, act, it will impact your relationships. It will impact your marriage. It will impact your kids. It will impact your work. It will impact your spiritual life. Your thought life is paramount as it cooperates with the other fences that God establishes in our life. You've got to manage your thought life. In fact, I want to make a statement to you, and I've said this to you before, but I think it bears repeating. Every problem you are going to come out of, you must come out of head first. That doesn't sound very spiritual. It is spiritual because your life is run by your thoughts. Okay, you are quiet this morning. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. That's why he goes on in Romans chapter 8, and he says, To be carnally minded is death. Oh, I thought not knowing Jesus was death. You can't know Jesus. Come on now. If you don't control your mind. Quiet today. He says, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity or at war against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither, neither indeed can it be. Too many of us are destroyed because we don't fence in our minds. Some of you, your minds are completely out of control because you've burned your conscience where it doesn't bother you anymore and because you've displaced or done away with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now your thought life is out of whack and so now you can think about 
about things that before you would have never thought about. And you used to be able to shut off the thoughts, but now they come all the time and I can't seem to get rid of them and they're overpowering me and they're overtaking me and I don't know what I'm going to... You've got to get the fences reestablished. You've got to renew your mind and you've got to wash your mind with the washing of what? The Word. That's what Scripture says. We wash our minds with the Word. We take control of our thought. He wouldn't have told us to think on the things that He told us to think on if we didn't have the power to think on those things. He says, think on what's good. Think on what's pure. Think on what's holy. Think on what's beautiful. Think on what's reputable. Don't think on the ugly. Don't think on the nasty. Don't think on the vengeance. Don't think on the revenge. Don't think on the prejudice. Don't think on the... Think on good things. And as we learn to control our minds... He builds fences to keep us in. But he also builds fences to keep stuff out. And some of you have allowed stuff in that wasn't supposed to get in. Cause, okay. All right, Pastor Drew, they're, they're ready for me to finish. So here's the fourth one. You won't be able to read it. In fact, I want you to put it with the sign like behind me. So like, it's accountability. Just sit over here. Accountability. I just need to be honest with you this morning. Will you be honest with me? Let's just make this statement and know that it's true. Left to our own devices, left all by ourselves, most of us can override this. If you leave me alone long enough, I'm going to burn this up. I'm going to ignore him. This is going to get out of control. So what's a man to do? you got to be held accountable. See how this all works together? One panel isn't enough. you got to have all four parts of this fence established in your life. We must be called into account. One of the key fences that has to be established is an, in, is an intentional effort. This doesn't, listen, you're born with this one. You pray for this one. You battle this one. This one doesn't happen by accident. It never will. Some of y'all have been doing these three for years and still struggling because you have, in, have never intentionally gone after an accountability partner, someone that can do this, say no to you. Someone that can say, hand me your phone and take the lock code off of it right now so I can see what you've... Somebody that can say, let me see your checkbook. Okay, we need somebody that can help us take stock of us. Somebody that has a no that we will never override. There is no negotiating in this. I give you permission in my life to say no, and when you say no, it's a no. And I won't argue. I bet I'm not going to do it because I can't escape. And if you were coming after me, I'd be stuck. I bet if I ask for a show of hands for everybody in this room that has in, an intentionally placed fence of accountability in your life. I'm not talking about how you're doing. I'm talking about how did you speak to your wife 
this morning on the way to church. I'm talking about what did you watch last night before you went to bed. I'm talking about where were you last weekend when you put on Facebook you were at work, but the truth is, is I saw you headed. If I asked that question, I would venture a guess that the majority of folks in this room would not be able to raise their hand. And what I want you to understand this morning is this, is that if we don't have anybody in our life that we can give veto power to over our activities, over our entertainment choices, then over who we're friends with, over who we date, who we spend our time with, who we listen to, if we don't have that, then, then we are setting ourselves up with a gap in the fence. And the enemy is smart. And if you don't have accountability in place, he won't attack you here. And he won't attack you here. And he won't deal with you here. He will come in from the rear. And he will get you from behind because you got nobody to watch your back. I talked to you last week about not turning friends into enemies. And I'm telling you this morning that there are people in your life that God has assigned to you that you don't like very much. Because you don't understand their role. And they bug you. And let's be honest, they tick you off. They annoy, they, they annoy the mess out of you. Because they're always asking you questions you don't want to answer. Can I tell you who they are this morning? They're a fence. They're a God-ordained fence. They are providing protection for you. And you don't even know it. And if you're not careful. You'll t you won't even put this piece of fence in place. And then we have to have these continuous conversations is about, I don't understand why I struggle. I don't understand why I keep falling. I don't know why I keep messing up. I don't understand why I keep doing this. I don't understand why I keep acting like it. I mean, I'm trying to be sensitive to my conscience. And I prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to convict me. And I've done my best to control my thought lives. I don't understand what's wrong with me. There's a gap. The truth this morning is this. Some fences are built to keep things in. But God establishes fences in our life to keep things out. And if you view fences as restriction and no fun, I had a, a lady tell me one time, long, many years ago, I confronted her about her actions. She was doing some things she shouldn't be doing. She was on my leadership team in a ministry I was involved in, and I dismissed her, and she got mad at me. And this is what she said. I was confronting, I was trying to play this role because she had overridden all these roles. And I looked at her and told her what was going on, and she said, she made this statement, I don't want to live life like that. And now, her life is in total destruction mode. No marriage. Kids are out of whack. Don't know what she's going to do. And I keep sitting here going, if you'd have had fences in place, the Lord would have helped you. So my question is simply for you this morning. Do you have these fences established in your life? All of them. I'm not letting you off the hook this morning. I, I, I do want to know, do you have your conscience at work? Have you seared 
your conscience. Stop a moment, just a moment, and ask yourself this question. Do you laugh at what used to cause you to blush? Do you participate in things that you would have never done before simply because you've burned your conscience up? Second question, do you ever hear the Holy Spirit convict you? Are you sensitive enough to his still, small voice to where you can hear him say, wait a minute, Steve, that's wrong. Don't laugh at that joke, that's wrong. Don't watch that on TV, that's wrong. Don't, don't listen to that, that's wrong. Don't say that. Can you even hear his voice anymore? Third, what's your thought life like? What do you spend your time thinking about? What consumes your mind? Would, it, would you be able to label it as good, reputable, holy? What are, you, what are you reading on Facebook that fills your mind? What are you listening to at work that fills your mind? But most importantly this morning is who's got your back? What, who in your life completes this sense of protection for you? Sorry, come here. I think you, you, I hope you got short arms. These are short fences. Okay, so right there, right there. So, so Tari's going to be the devil. <laughs> I, I didn't typecast or nothing. I promise I didn't. But he is wearing a Tar Heel shirt, so maybe so. Uh, uh, <laughs> come here, short arms. All right. So, so Tari's the devil. He's reaching out for me. To grab me, to attack me, because that's what the Bible says he does, right? But if I've got fences in place, he can't reach me. But we don't like fences. But if I establish, he can try to come through my conscience. If, I, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm listening, he can't get to me. He can try to attack me in my thought life, but I don't listen to him, watch or go and listen the only place he can get me is if there's a gap. So if I leave this big old gap, and this isn't real accountability. Y'all know there's a difference between real accountability and fake accountability, right? Because accountability is only as good as what you're willing to share. How you doing? I'm fine. Really? Oh, yeah. But when it's locked down, back up, devil. That's, that's exactly what happens right there. When you have all this in place, you can say to the devil, back up. And if I wasn't boxed in here, okay, now he can't get to me and I'm confined. I just want to encourage you this. Thank you. I just want to encourage you this morning. It's time to examine your own life and go back and build some fences. I don't like fences. Fences are for your good. Fences are for you're good. So this is what we're going to do. Pastor Andrew, come here and help me real quick. Hopefully this won't fall. Kim, will you come? What I'm going to do this morning 
because wor- actually the worship team is going to come back. We flipped it on purpose. I'm going to pray over you real quick. And after I pray and they begin to sing, this is what, this is going to be weird for some of y'all. Some of y'all freak out. But it's okay. We talked about what happens in the natural is a precursor to what happens in the supernatural. So we do these acts because they signify for us what we believe is happening in the supernatural realm. Right? So as they sing this morning, I want you to, in your own heart and life, I want you to examine these fences. We've got to make a commitment to reestablish fences. I've watched a lot of you struggle. And I know it's simply because your fences aren't intact. But I'm asking you this morning, as you examine your life, that you identify the fence that's not in place, you make a commitment to put that fence in place. this is what we're going to do. I'm going to get out of this thing and I'm just going to leave it like this. And as they sing just sporadically, this is weird. Then Pastor Danny will come and close us at the right time. If you've come to this place in your own life where you say, Father, I will allow you to fence me in. Even though it's painful. Even though it's annoying. Even though I'm an American and I don't like fences. I'm a Roy Rogers fan, and that's my theme song. I'll let you do it. When you come to that place of commitment, I just want you to stand and come up here and get up here in this fence. Just walk in and do this thing right here. Stand here for a second, and then you can exit. Now, you cannot exit in the supernatural. You can only exit in the natural. Because what I believe that God is going to do is He's going to seal for us that from this moment, from this day forward, we will be fenced in Father, this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. We recognize that our own desire for control, our own desire for freedom, our own desire for living like we want to live and not having a boss, nobody telling me what to do. We recognize this morning that living like that never turns out very good because we mess this up every time. So this morning, Father, I pray that as we spend some time in worship, that we would be mindful of the fences that need to be established in our life. There are individuals in this room this morning that need to have their conscience turned back on, rebuilt, reestablished. I pray that once again, that innate understanding of what's right and wrong would be reestablished in their life. Father, there are those in this room that need the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to be turned up a few notches in their life. And I just pray in the name of Jesus right now, we would allow the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in our life. And you would become once again like a referee that would blow a whistle and say, that's off limits. You're out of bounds. That's a foul. I pray that we would respond. God, I pray for those that need to reestablish the fence of their thought life. There are thoughts that are out of control. There are thoughts that are wild. There are thoughts that are all messed up. I pray this morning that our attention, our focus would be refocused on what's pure and holy and reputable and right and praiseworthy. And we would think on those things and we would manage our mind because we recognize today that our thoughts run our life. 
there are people under the sound of my voice that are being run by thoughts of depression and loneliness and and disillusionment, discouragement. I pray this morning that the the fence of their thought life would be reestablished and they would think on the things that you called them to think on. And then, Father, I pray last but not least that each and every one of us would do the very, 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 very difficult work of opening up our life to someone who can hold us accountable, to someone who will guard our back, to someone who we can allow to ask the very probing, painful, uncomfortable questions because we recognize today that, Father, you build fences not only to keep us in, but you establish fences in our life to keep things out. I ask that you would allow us to be very honest with ourselves today in Jesus' name. Now, as they sing, would you think about that and make a commitment to the Lord? And when you're at the place of ready, readiness, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the hard work. I want you to step up and step in in the name of Jesus.
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.